Well, we're going to look in the Word of God this morning, and uh, as I've said in the in the sermon title, some of you've seen it on the sign outside this morning. Uh, the Bible is dangerous. I've already had a, questions from two kids this morning who read the sign and said, "What do you mean the Bible is dangerous? Aren't you aren't we supposed to read the Bible? Aren't you a pastor trying to encourage people to read the Bible? What are you saying the Bible is dangerous?" Um, and, and in some ways, I am being a little cute with that, trying to get your attention, but not too much. Uh, because the Bible is dangerous, right? There is a real danger uh, to reading the Bible. It's a wonderful book. We should read it. I hope by the end of the sermon, we're all even more encouraged to read it. Uh, but the passage we're going to look at today in the book of Hebrews reminds us that the Bible is in some ways like a gun or a very sharp knife. Uh, that it's not something to play around with. It's, it's dangerous. It's got, it's got an edge to it. Uh, so today we're going to be in Hebrews. We're in chapter 4. If you uh, don't have a Bible this morning, I'd encourage you to open up the Pew Bible and just read and follow along with us. We're just going to see two verses today. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Um, we've been studying this book together, and if you've, you've missed the last few weeks, uh, I just want to remind you that uh, that what we've seen in this book, in the last chapter, we were reminded of a wonderful truth, a great truth in chapter 4. It's that God has promised Christians rest, wonderful rest, the eternal rest of heaven, being with God forever. It's, it's going to be great. And then one of the things that God has given us to make sure that we get that rest is he's given us the Bible. He's given us the Bible as a tool as a means for him to work in our lives, to give us the grace and the faith that we need so that we will make it to heaven. And the verses we're going to look at today tell us more about the Bible. It's Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. So you can follow along as I read those aloud. For the word of God is living and active Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It's two verses today, but very rich. And, and what I want to do as we look at them this morning is go through three questions. What, what is the Bible? Why is it dangerous? And then given that danger, why would anyone want to read it? What is the Bible? Why is it dangerous? And given that danger, why would anyone want to read it? So first, what is the Bible? And let's just look at the passage here. What does it say? It says the Bible is the word of God. It's God's living and powerful word. The Bible is God's living and powerful word. So you see two adjectives right away as you look at the first verse, verse 12. It says the word of God is living, and then depending on your translation, you've got it's active, or it says maybe it's powerful, or it's effective. That second word there comes from the Greek word energeo, which we get energy, right? It's, it's an energetic, it's active, powerful, effective. This book is not a dead book. It's an amazing book. It's a living book. It's an active book. Just think about the oldest book that you read or have read. You know, if, if you read, and, and not all of us are readers, but if you read 
Probably the books that you're reading these days are a couple years old, maybe brand new, you know, something right on the bestseller list. Or maybe if you're more into classics, you're reading books that are maybe hundreds of years old. But this book, right, the New Testament, you know, we've got an Old Testament and a New Testament, the New Testament is 2,000 years old. Okay, so this is a book that was written 2,000 years ago. You're, I, I doubt any of us are reading any other books that are written that long ago. And yet, and yet, I mean, I struggle, like Beowulf, written in, what, 700s? <laughs> I don't get a lot out of Beowulf. Like, this is old, this is, this is what, what is this? This is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a dead story. But this book, 2,000 years ago, written 2,000 years ago, it still teaches us, it still comforts us, it still challenges us. And it's not even the sort of book where you just read it once and you set it aside. There's plenty of books where I've done that. Even good Christian books where I've read it, I've learned some good things from it, I've, I've grown through reading that book. But then I don't need to go back and read it again because I got it. It's like, you know, once you learn your ABCs, you, you move on from the spot can run type books. But the Bible's not like that. It's different. It's unique. It's the sort of book that the, the deeper you grow, the more depth you find in the Bible. It's, it's, it's a book where you, you read it more and more and more. I mean, I've, I've read the Bible. I'm sure a lot of us here have read I've read the whole thing. I've read the whole thing a few times. But I keep reading it. Uh, I study the Bible. I've got a master's degree in the study of the Bible. And there's still more there. There's still depth there. There's still activity there. If you've read C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Last Battle, uh, at the... You know, in that, in that book, there's, there's a scene where they, they're in heaven and they say, you know, that paradoxically, the farther in you go, the bigger it is. The land itself, like the farther in you go in the land, the bigger you find the land to be. That's what the Bible's like. The, the, the deeper you go in the Bible, the, the more riches you discover, the bigger you find it to be. And it's, it's like each, it's not the Bible's limiting factor, it's that we're the limiting factor. The, the deeper we grow, the more mature we get, the more experience we have of life, the more we find that the Bible speaks to that experience. The Bible speaks to that, uh, that phase of life. The Bible has that depth there. The, the bigger we get, we find the bigger the Bible is. It's a living and powerful book. It's a unique book, and it's living and powerful because it is the word of God. Verse 12, it says, The word of God is living and active. So it's different from Beowulf because Beowulf was not inspired by God. Uh, Pride and Prejudice was not inspired by God. Tom Clancy, not inspired by God. The, the, these books, they're all, uh, they're all written by people, just, just people. But the Bible, though written by men, they were written by men who were inspired by God to write the very words of God. And then it's not like God left and said, now there's the book I've spoken, it's done, but God now speaks through his word. See, the Bible is living and active because God is living and active. And the words that he spoke once that were written down in the word, he now speaks through the word to us in his power and activity. So when we come to the Bible, we're coming not just to an old dead book, we're coming to a book that is the very words of the God who is alive and active. And that's what makes it dangerous. See, the Bible, what is the Bible? It's the word of God. It's the living and active word of God. Why is it dangerous? 
it's because it cuts us open. It cuts us open. See, what does God do with his word? Well, he uses it like a sword. You keep reading this verse, it says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, we could, we could get off on a tangent. Maybe you want to ask a question about this, about what exactly is soul and spirit and joints and marrow. But the point there the, is he's making this poetic image of saying there's these things that are basically indivisible, and God's word is so sharp it divides the indivisible. God's word is so sharp, it can get in there between soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it can, it can penetrate all the way down into your heart. The Bible is like an extremely razor-sharp scalpel in the hands of a surgeon. God's word comes into our lives, and it cuts us open right to the heart so that now our thoughts, our intentions, our motives, our inner life is laid bare. Do you see why the Bible is dangerous? It's because we we work so hard to put up a front, to to create this carefully cultivated image, this external appearance. This is who I am. And the Bible comes right in and cuts through it all. It says, I know who you really are. And, And this is... This has always been a problem. It may be more of a problem in the, the age of social media in which we live, where you know, we've, we've got this online persona, or you've got your Facebook profile or your, your whatever, and, you, and, and you're, you're always you're posting the pictures that make you look good. Here's the amazing pie that I baked today. You know, but you don't show the mess behind the pie that you made or the crying children that you yelled at so that you get the pie made. Uh, you post all these great pictures or you, you, you brag about all the wonderful trips that you've been on or you, you, you present the best version of you, right? So the people who see you online think, wow, they've really got it together. Uh, and and, and this, is, this is the temptation of this, this online world. I'll, I'll confess, there's one social media uh, application called Spotify. Some of you may know about it. It's like a music listening app. And, and if you listen to it and you link it with your Facebook account, it will put on your Facebook account the songs that you're listening to so your friends can know what you're listening to. And I'm just confessing to you, I disabled that right away because I have way too many guilty pleasures. And I do not want people to know the songs that I'm listening to because that would shatter the persona of the cool person. You know, I, don't, I just don't want to work so hard and think, is this song really worth listening to? Because if I listen to it, then everybody's going to know what I really like. See, that's, this, is, this is what happens in our age. We, we're always thinking about our, our outward appearance and what we look like to other people. And it's not just, it's not like this happened in the 21st century. I mean, people have always been concerned about this. We still have other things if we're not on Facebook. We, you know, Christmas cards. You know, what, what do we do with our Christmas letters? We just brag to everybody how wonderful our family is and how great our kids are and our grandkids. And we just say, this is, my life is perfect. Look, it's in my Christmas card. Or we have our cars or our clothes or our houses, the appropriate status symbols to reflect. This is who I am. I'm a person who has this sort of possession. Uh, or we can look to our moral performance. Say, you know, look at me. Look what I do. You can see what I do on the outside. This proves that I have it together, that I'm a good person. And so we smile and we say, everything's fine. And then we open the word of God and we're just laid bare. 
It, all, all that posturing, all that pretending, it just goes up in smoke and we see the real us. I mean, maybe we don't even know the real us. Maybe we buy into the lie of I am that perfect person until we read the word of God and it cuts, it penetrates, it gets to our heart until it's just me, the real me, and God. Now, that's scary. That's, that's dangerous. We, we might not be ready for that. You know, this, this attack, this, 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 this cutting of the word of God, it happens in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's just a direct attack. Just bam, full on, here's the sword in the gut. You know, we're, we're you're, you're listening to a sermon or you're just reading the Bible and you come across the Ten Commandments and it says, do not covet. And you were coveting. And the sword just slices to your heart and you say, yep, that's me. You know, you're reading in the Bible and you just come across a direct statement in the word that's, that hits you. It says that I am doing that, I shouldn't be doing that, or I should be doing that and I'm not, and it just, bam, there it is. Sometimes it's more skillful. I think of the story of Nathan, the prophet Nathan confronting David. In that situation, it's like God comes and he's got you cut open before you even know you're on the operating table. There's a story, I'll, I'll, just, I'll read it to you from 2 Samuel. You know, David was king of Israel. He's the king. Like, you don't, you don't mess with the king. But he's gone off the rails. He's, he's had a man killed. He's stolen his wife. He's living in, in flagrant sin. So Nathan comes up, and he doesn't say, don't murder. Because that wouldn't have penetrated. Probably would have gotten Nathan head cut off. But what does he say? He comes up to Dave and he says, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And it says, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. And in that moment, the word of God slipped past David's defenses he didn't even know he's on the operating table. Condemned by his own words, he realized his sin and he repented because he was cut to the heart. And this still happens to us. We can put up pretty good defenses. We can have our rationalizations there and we can say, I am not doing anything wrong. And God's word, the danger of God's word is you start to read it and he will slip past your carefully structured justifications. And he will get to the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And he will lay you bare. And the word of God is so powerful and so effective that it can even cut us through seemingly accidental slices. Charles Spurgeon told the story of a man who heard uh, one of those genealogies in Genesis being read. 
like in the, in the early chapters, I think it's chapter four, um, and it just says, you know, so-and-so lived so many years, fathered this person, and he died. So-and-so lived so many years, fathered this person, and he died. So-and-so lived so many years, fathered this person, and he died. And there's a man sitting there who, through the constant refrain of, and he died, and he died, and he died, was confronted with his own mortality and repented and believed the gospel. The, wor- the word of God is living and powerful. You can, I mean, the genealogies, we skip those. We're like, what is that there for? Well, it's there because God uses it in our lives to confront us. To slice it seems like an accident. I mean, and sometimes that happens. You just pick up the Bible randomly. I don't recommend that as an ongoing practice, like every day just pick up the Bible randomly, but sometimes you just pick up the Bible randomly and you open it up and you read a verse and it hits you like a truck. Because God is active in his word. It's not an accident. Or you hear a song on the radio that's based on scripture or you get a card with a little verse on it and it just speaks with the voice of God into your life. So you really can't be too careful. And if we're trying to preserve that image, that outward uh, shell, we can't be too careful because God's word is living and active. One way or another, he's going to get to our hearts. So given the danger, why would anyone want to read the Bible or hear the Bible? You just, you know, being exposed to the Bible. Why would anyone risk being exposed to the Bible if doing that means that our hearts are laid bare and we have to deal with the real us and, and experience conviction in our thoughts and tensions? I mean, that, that sounds pretty brutal, doesn't it? I'll give you two good reasons. Uh, the first one is because we will not make it to heaven without it. We will not make it to heaven without the work of Scripture in our lives, in our hearts. If I can put it another way, I'd say we will die without the surgery. It will die without the surgery of God's word in our hearts. Okay, so just, just think for a minute about literal heart surgery. Why would anyone do that? You know, why would anyone have their their chest sliced open and their sternum cracked and have a part of their heart cut open. And why would anyone do that? You don't just do it for a fun afternoon. You do it because you've got a desperate need because your heart is sick and it needs repair. And, and that's why we read the Bible. That's why we risk having God speak into our lives and cut us open in that very private and central part of us. It's because we have great need to be transformed in our hearts. If you're still in Hebrews, if you look back in chapter 3, verse 12, I I keep pointing your attention to this because it's such a key verse. In chapter 3, verse 12, uh, the, the exhortation for us, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. This is the key question that the Bible asks of each of us when we approach it. It says, don't, don't show me your actions. Don't, don't give me your resume. Don't, don't talk about any of these external things. I want to know what's going on in your heart. What is in your heart? Do you have a believing heart or an unbelieving heart? And the only way you can answer that is if you actually get down to the heart. And the only way you get down to the heart is with the scalpel of the word of God. See, we don't want to go deep. We want to stay on the surface. But God goes deep. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. If you weren't a little frightened yet, this should do it. 
and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's how deep God goes. He sees our hearts. We are naked. Nothing to hide behind. We're exposed. We're laid bare. And we have to give an account. What's the account? The account is, do we have a believing heart or not? That's the account. God's not saying, show me your actions. Let's put all your works on a scale and see if you got more good and more bad. No, the account we give as we're standing up there is he strips away all that stuff. He strips away all that external stuff and says, all that's left is you and your heart. Now tell me, do you believe? Did you believe? Did you have a believing heart in Jesus or unbelieving? Did you just fake it or was it real? That's the challenge. This Jesus asking us, do I believe the good news that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead to blaze a trail for me to eternal life? That's piercing question we get from the word of God now if you're if you're not ready for that then what you need to do now is be ready for it here's how you get ready you repent that is to say you you say I I I have sinned I have done wrong against God I've rebelled against God and I need forgiveness and you ask God to please forgive you. You repent. And then you believe. You believe in Jesus. You say, I trust you for salvation. I want to follow you. That's the work that God is trying to do in all of our hearts with the word of God. He's trying to get there and say, do we believe? Do we believe that simple gospel message? And without that, we will not make it to heaven. To to be clear, I want you to understand, I'm not saying without reading X number of hours of the Bible, God will not let you into heaven. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not saying you've got, reading the Bible is a work that you have to accomplish, and if you do that, then God will say, good, you read the Bible, therefore I will let you in heaven. No. But I'm saying there's no way you're going to have the faith that you need to get into heaven if you're never exposed to the piercing work of God's word in your life. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. And the lesson of Hebrews over and over is, not only is that the initial work of becoming a Christian, but but there's a need for perseverance in your faith until the end. And how do we maintain our faith? How do we stay following Jesus over a lifetime? It's that we still need the word of God. We must still, every day, be cut open by the word of God. Now, I've I've never gone ice fishing, but I think I understand the mechanics of it, that that you have to cut a hole in the ice, okay? And once you cut the hole in the ice, you don't just leave it there and assume that that hole in the ice is going to stay there forever. Because what happens when you cut the hole in the ice because it's winter and there's water and it's cold, the ice hole will close, right? So, so in addition to cutting the hole in the ice initially, you've got to keep fighting to keep the ice hole open so that you have access to the, the water where you can fish. And, and the Christian life is like that. Our faith, you know, we, we put our faith in Jesus. He cuts us open, right, with the word of God. We put our faith in Jesus. We trust in him. But then what happens? Life, sin, our... our 
our fallen nature keeps building up you know, more ice on the hole and trying to close us off from God. So what do we need? We need the work of God, the word of God to keep penetrating and busting us open to keep our faith open and vibrant and alive. Again in chapter 3, Hebrews 3, 13, he warns, he says, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's what happens. We, we sin and we feel guilty and we don't want to deal with God. We don't want to read the Bible. That's the devil's first trick is to say, oh, you're guilty. You don't want to be exposed to the word of God, so put that on the shelf and never touch it again. But what we need is precisely in that moment when we feel guilty, when we feel distant from God, to open up the word of God and say, flay me open. Kill the sin that is hardening my heart against you. Remove the stranglehold of the devil that I might have life and faith. It's the most foolish thing in the world to avoid surgery because you're afraid of being cut by a knife. If the doctor comes and says, your gallbladder is bad, it's going to kill you, we need to get it out. And you say, oh, that sounds great. Are you going to have to cut me open? Well, yeah. Oh, that, I don't want that. I'll just go home and die. It's foolish. It's foolish. You don't, don't, don't fear the knife. Fear the thing that the knife is coming to take out of you. We, we need to embrace the danger of the word of God that we could have the sin that's in us cut away. We'll never make it to heaven unless the word of God comes into our hearts and creating faith and sustaining faith. I said there were two good reasons. The second one is this. Because we will not know the love of God apart from it. We won't really know the love of God unless we've had our hearts laid bare to see who we really are. Because behind all this fear of exposure is really a fear of rejection. That's what we're doing. We're creating a persona saying, look, look how wonderful I am. If you see this version of me, then you will like me. If you, if you knew what I listened to, you wouldn't like me. More seriously, if you knew really what's in my heart, you wouldn't like me. If you didn't just see my actions, but you actually saw my thoughts and my intentions, then you would reject me. And if God, if God knows who I really am, if he sees in my thoughts and my intentions in my heart, if he's looking that deeply, then he will, he will reject me. This verse 13 in chapter 4, it is scary. It's a scary picture, being naked and exposed before God. And this word there, it, you know, in, in my version it says exposed. Some of you it's laid bare uh, before the eyes of him. It's, it's a very unique word. In the original language, it, it comes from the word for neck, and it's a version of that, and it's, it's a word that's used to describe uh, taking the neck of a sacrificial animal and stretching it out on the altar, right? so being laid bare. It's the, you got the lamb or whatever it is, and you put it on the altar, and you're, you're laying the neck of the animal bare on the altar, and what are you going to do next? You're going to kill it. Because that's what happens when you make the neck of the animal vulnerable. It's just sitting there and it's ready to be slaughtered. And that's what it feels like for us to be vulnerable. To say, oh, I don't, I don't want to let you know the real me. I don't want to expose my heart because then I'll probably be killed. At least emotionally. I'm going to be rejected. God won't love me. But the wonderful news of the gospel 
is that God does love us. Yes, we, we deserve to be on that altar. We deserve to be killed for all that we've done. We are that bad. But Jesus, Jesus said, you can come off that altar. Just come off. He, he, he put himself there. He stretched his neck out. He, he sacrificed himself. He said, I'm going to be vulnerable. I mean, you see Jesus naked and exposed, hanging on the cross, dying for our sins. And what that tells us is the extent of God's love for us. You see, if, if we only know ourselves to the extent of, of the surface persona, if we only, if that's the extent of our self-knowledge, like I, I think I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I got it together, and that's what we think of ourselves, we're not going to think very much of the love of God. Because of course he loves me, I'm a good person. Why wouldn't he love me? I've got it all together. And we've got this little thimble full of the love of God. But if we allow the word of God to lay us open and see ourselves as God sees us, naked, exposed, condemned, deserving of death, then, then we can know the love of God. The love of God that is so great that he would love someone like me, not the polished, perfect me, but the real me even acknowledging that the me that he knows is even more wretched than I can fathom. To the extent that we see ourselves as we really are, to that extent, we will really know the love of God. So the Bible is dangerous. It is, in fact, like a sharp scalpel in the hands of the living God. And he will use it to cut to our hearts. It exposes us the way we are. It, it cuts through the lies of sin. It cuts through the hardness of our hearts. It, it cuts through our, um, our delusions that were somehow special and, and wonderful. And of course, God loves me. But as it does that, it fills our hearts with faith and with wonder at the love of God. So, read your Bible. make regular Bible intake a part of your life. You know, what, what's it look like? I mean, obviously this is part of it, right? We're here, we're gathered around the Word of God. God is using this to penetrate our hearts, but this is not all of it. I mean, we can, we're, we're a literate society, so we can read our Bibles. We have the privilege of a, of a scriptures in our language, a, a wealth of scriptures in multiple translations. There is a Bible that you can read. Read it. You know, there's, there's reading plans where you can read through the Bible in a year or in two years or just read a chapter a day or read a verse a day or memorize a verse once a week or something. Because the, God, the Word of God is living and active. We need it. So don't just sit here today and hear that you need surgery and believe that you need surgery and then go home and die. Schedule the surgery. Go under the knife. That's how God brings life and faith in our hearts. Let's pray. Oh, Father, your word is living and active, and you are living and active. Would you work today creating and sustaining faith in our hearts? filling us with wonder 
that you would love someone like me. We pray this in Jesus' name.